I don't believe that a Christian, man or woman, can be as close to God as they could be if they're not a giver. You see, God is a giver. God is a giver. He gives every day to us. Every day. And we are to follow Him as dear children. So we are to become givers also. I'd like to ask you to open your Bible to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And that's a decision that you need to make. Am I going to go there or am I not? Hebrews chapter 11. About 1,600 years ago, something like that, around 400 A.D., St. Jerome uh, said these words, Noli equi dentes inspectere donati. Now what does that mean? Noli, it means negative, don't. Equi, it means a horse. Dentes means what? Teeth. Inspectere means to inspect. And donati means a gift. So we, the way we say it in English is never look a gift horse in the mouth. And maybe that translates into some other languages, but the idea being if someone gives you a horse, don't be checking its teeth because that's typically how people used to sort of determine the age and health of the horse. They have other ways of doing it today, but that saying has been around a long, long time. And so if someone gives you a horse and the first thing you do is take a look at its teeth and you're wishing, oh, I wish it was a younger horse. Oh, I wish it was a more valuable horse. Oh, I wish it was this. I wish it were that. You never do that. You never look a gift horse in the mouth. If someone gives you something, be thankful for it. That's the idea. Does that make sense? Yes? Well, when it comes to giving gifts to God, is one gift just as good as another gift? Should God maybe not be as choosy? You know, we give Him something. He ought to be thankful that we're giving Him something. Maybe God shouldn't be looking a gift horse in the mouth. Is that the way it is? Well, I hope we can answer that question today. I believe that Scripture abounds with clues as to what pleases God. In Proverbs 15 and verse 8, it says that God doesn't want the sacrifice of the wicked. In fact, it says the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Abomination means something that makes you violently ill. It turns your stomach. You want to vomit. The sacrifice of wicked people when they bring a gift of any sort, shape, size, description, when wicked people bring a sacrifice, a sacrificial gift to God, God's not interested. He doesn't want it. And so right away we can see that there's some kind of difference there, right? Um, Christ and the devil have nothing in common. And I think that that's a clear line in the sand, isn't it? that Christ and the devil don't have anything in common, so why try to mix them together? This is why it says in 2 Corinthians, God loveth a cheerful giver. That means that when we come to God with a gift, if our hearts are happy to be able to give it to Him, that's what God loves. And those of you who are parents, you know what this is like. 
if you have two children and one of them comes to you, and maybe it's your anniversary or your birthday, both children come to you with a gift and one has a big smile on his or her face, says, Daddy or Mommy, I made this for you or I bought this for you. This is for you. I love you. And how joy, joyful your heart is to receive that. But then your second child comes to you with kind of a, uh, a look on their face. Well, I hope you appreciate this. I, I took money out of my own piggy bank to buy this for you. Here you go. Now, how would you feel, Mom? How would you feel, Dad? Wouldn't you want to say to them, that's okay, sweetheart. You keep it. You don't have to give me anything. You'd be sort of somewhat that way or at least inclined that way. As parents, we want our children to be happy and grateful for the things we do for them. And when they bring something to us, we want to see a, a happy heart. And likewise, God loveth a cheerful giver. If, you, if you're here today and you know it comes the offering time and you begrudgingly, no, all right, and you take out your wallet, don't. Don't, because it's not what makes God happy. Keep it. Do whatever you want with it. But come back when you're happy. And then give that to the Lord. You know, Jesus told us, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so, you know, if you really treasure the Lord, that's where your heart's going to be. It'll be so easy for you to give something to the Lord. I think we have that story in the, the lives of Cain and Abel here. You know that uh, gifts, I don't have to tell you this, this is something I'm preaching to the choir, that's what they say. But you already know this, that gifts often show our love, our respect, our appreciation, hmm? the fact that we remembered, that sort of thing. Often when we go to someone's home, their brand new home, they just moved in, we'll often bring a little housewarming gift. For their birthday or anniversary, we'll often give them something. And that's sort of typical the world over. Not everywhere, but most of the world, I think, is like that. And people kind of like to receive gifts. Most people do. Some don't, but most do. And I'd like to think that most of us like to be able to give a gift, especially if we know it's appreciated. If you can give someone a gift that you know they need, something they need, or something they really appreciate... That feels good, doesn't it? And our, our relationship with God, that's where I think we got this from. Because God loveth a cheerful giver. So when we come to give a gift, any kind of gift to God, first it needs to be from a, a saved heart, but secondly, a, a cheerful heart. Remember, God is not excited about the gifts of unsaved people. Did you know that God is a giver? Every single person here today, every single person watching online, every single person the world over is a recipient of the gifts of God. James chapter 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above. And that means that God gives good gifts. Our hearts beating, the blood's pumping, those are gifts of God. Some people are going to lose that today. Their hearts are going to stop. Some people are going to die today, world over. Every year they say 50 to 60 million people die. Some years it's much more, some years it's a little less. But every day, someone's heart is stopping. The gift of life is no longer theirs, is it? Many people, when they come to the end of their days, they have regrets. Oh, I wish I had done more of this. I wish I had done that. I wish I'd spent more time with my loved ones. I, I wish I'd served the Lord more. 
wish I'd read the Bible more. wish I'd prayed more. Often people will have regrets as they come up near the end of their earthly life. Folks, let's make good decisions now like the girls were singing about. Let's make good decisions now, even today, that will help prevent us from having these regrets should the end of our days come in the not-so-near future. Or the not-so-distant future is what I should have I should have said. But God is a giver of gifts. And I don't know if you ever thought about this, but the only way you could ever become a member of God's family, the only way, the only possible way you could ever be a son or daughter of God, be part of God's family, is through a gift. That makes sense, doesn't it? We think of God's gift. Hmm? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Receiving God's gift. God's gift is Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you've never actually received Jesus Himself into your heart and life to be your Savior, to save you from hell, and your Lord to help guide you through your life, you need to do that today. Or if you're watching online, if you've never been saved, what's holding you back? What possible reason is there for rejecting God's gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so I'd like to suggest to you, I want to make a bold statement, but I want to make it in love. And over the years, I've been saved now just about 47 years, and I've thought about this so many times. In this area of giving, I don't believe that a Christian man or woman can be as close to God as they could be if they're not a giver. You see, God is a giver. God is a giver. He gives every day to us. Every day. And we are to follow Him as dear children. So we are to become givers also. Now, please use caution on what I'm saying. I'm not telling you to go out and sell the farm and, you know, give it all to missions. Maybe rarely God has asked someone to do that. But listen. How many people did Jesus ever call upon to walk on water? You can count them on one hand. You can count them on one finger. How many people did God ever call upon to offer up their own son as a sacrifice? You can count that on one finger too. And even then, God stopped them. That was Abraham. Rarely would God ever call someone to give it all. I suppose He does. But that's very, very rare. But we need to have hearts that are in love with the Lord so that we have an open hand policy. And if God wants to put something in, thank you, Lord. If God wants to take something out, thank you, Lord. That's the best way to live, folks. So we're going to look at this subject today about Abel's offering. And it says here it was more excellent. What does that mean? We're going to try and find that out today. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll continue. Our Heavenly Father, We humble ourselves and ask you to be our guide and teacher. Have the Holy Spirit open the eyes of our understanding that we can see the power behind the truth of giving to God. Lord, we pray that you would not allow the devil to put any evil thought into anyone's mind. Help us to keep things above board and solely based on Scripture so that we know what God says on this matter and then we can follow it. So bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We talk about sacrifice or sacrificial giving. What is a sacrifice? The word sacrifice 
means to make something holy. And the idea is you give it into the hand of God. Emphasis on give. You give it into the hand of God so that it's no longer yours. In the Old Testament, under Mosaic law, when they would bring an animal to the temple to sacrifice, the worshiper would bring the sheep or the goat. The priest would put the knife in the hand of the worshiper. It was the worshiper who had to cut the throat and shed the blood. And then the priest would take the the dead body and then do what he had to do with it on the altar. But once that, that sacrificial lamb or goat was given, it couldn't be taken back. And that's the idea behind the word sacrifice. It's something that you give that you don't take back. So often people give and then they take it back. Have you ever known anyone to do that? Or have you ever done that? Given something and then taken it back? I think a lot of us have. I did that as a child. I remember doing that. I won't tell you about that. I'm so embarrassed about that. But uh, it's human nature sometimes to give something and then want it back. Want it back. I've had that done to me. A man gave me, a few years ago, a man gave me an assortment of little nuts and bolts. Tiny little ones. And it was quite a handful. And he gave it to me. And so I thanked him and I went home and I spent a few hours sorting them all out into little compartments, making them all just right. He called me up and wanted it back. So I was tempted to throw it all back into just one big bag and give it to him. But I thought, nah. The Bible says overcome evil with good. So I thought, all right, we'll do it that way. So I gave him the, the fruit of my labor, the benefit of my work. I said, here you go. And I gave it back to him. But I scratched my head and I said, why in the world would that guy ever want those things back? But that's just the kind of guy I guess he was. So anyhow, when we give something to God, it's not something that we can take back. Now, I'd like to remind you of two or three times the Bible talks about sacrificial giving for, for the Christian, for the believer in Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, it talks about giving our bodies to God. What does that mean? It doesn't mean our death. It doesn't mean anything like that. It means where we get alone with God or maybe come to the altar at the end of the, the service or something and we get on our knees and we say, Lord... I didn't know this. I didn't know I was to give my body to you. But that's what it says. That's what it teaches in Romans 12.1. That we're to give our bodies. That's a sacrifice. And so when we give our body to God, we're saying, God, you're in control of my body now. So you're the owner. And I'll just be kind of the manager. I'll be the tenant, if you will. But you're the landlord of my body. And you help me out. And uh, tell me how I can best look after the body. And I'll do that. And that's an agreement that you make with God. Say, why would God want my body? It's because when God has your body, He has all of you. He has the vehicle through through which you live life. And so you give Him your body, you're giving Him the vehicle through which you live this life. That's a sacrifice. And some Christians are not willing to make that sacrifice. And some are. I didn't know this until I got down into Bible college back in 78. And I remember... The guest preacher in a chapel service preached on Romans chapter 12 and giving our bodies to God. I'd never heard that. I'd been saved about three years at that time. I'd never heard this. And so uh, I went back to my dormitory and went in my room, closed the door and got on my knees at my bedside. And the best I knew how, 
I gave my body to God. I have learned since that we tend to forget some of these things and we have to redo it again. We've got to go back and give it to God again. But that's one sacrifice. Another sacrifice, it's in Hebrews chapter 13. If you're there in Hebrews, just turn a page over, a page or two to chapter 13 and look at verse 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. The sacrifice of praise. Now tonight, Pastor Ivan's going to be dealing with that a little bit more detail than I am here. But the idea is you want to be able to give God praise every day. You know you're supposed to give God thanks in all things. Did you know that's what the Bible teaches in 1 Thessalonians? We're to give God thanks in everything give thanks. It says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning Him. And so we're to give God praise. It's proper to do that. Very comely, very proper to give God the praise. That means like a, a, a boast, a show, a glory for all His goodness. And God is good. With some people, He has to be stern. With other people, He doesn't. But overall, God is good. No one will ever, ever be able to point a finger at God and say, you weren't good to me. Because truth is, God was good to them. Sometimes a little child will look up at his or her father or mother and say, you hate me. You hate me. You won't give me what I want. You hate me. That is so juvenile. And yet, sometimes adults do that toward God. You hate me. Because you won't let me, or you won't give me, or you took from me. You must hate me. That is absolutely false. It's a lie of the devil. God does what he does in love. Why did God put Adam and Eve out of the garden? Because he hated them? No, because he loved them. Because if they went and ate of the, of the tree of life, the fruit of the tree of life, they would remain in an unsaved condition forever. And so for their own safety and for the safety of all humanity, God put them out. And he shut up the way into the garden. And that was a real garden too. That wasn't any kind of fable or fairy tale. That was a real place. And God put them out in love. That's why God did it. Why did God allow Jesus Christ to be so badly beaten and bruised and nailed to an old rugged cross? Because God so loved the world. God does what he does out of love. He really does. We are to give Him the sacrifice of praise. We won't, we won't turn there for the sake of time, but back in Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, you can look it up later, Philippians 4, 18, the Christians gave lovingly, gratefully, joyfully to the Lord's work. And the context there talks about the sacrifice of our money. And so those are just three of the sacrifices but here in chapter 11 of Hebrews, I want you to see something in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God, now look at this, a more excellent sacrifice. It doesn't say that Abel offered unto God a sacrifice. It doesn't say God that Abel offered unto God an excellent sacrifice. It says that, God, that Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. And there's a reason for that. The words more excellent are one word in the uh, Greek uh, original there. Uh, pleon. Pleon is the Greek word. Pleon. And the idea is it's, it's sort of a comparison kind of a word. You have some, but you have more. You have good, but you have greater. 
right? So it's a comparative kind of word. It overshadows other things. Now here, translated into English, we've got the two words. We've got more and excellent. The word excellent means to excel. To excel. So here the sacrifice already excels that of, of uh, Cain's gift. Cain and Abel, right? They both gave gifts. Abel's was already excelling Cain's, but to get the fuller idea of pleon, they added in the more. So it's not just it's excelling, it's more excelling. Do you get the idea? It's humongous. It's superabundant. It overshadowed Cain's gift. It dwarfed Cain's gift. That's what it did. Um, tell you what, let's take a look at the Gospel of Matthew. We'll go to Matthew chapter number 12. We'll get a better idea of Pleon. Matthew chapter 12. Here the Lord Jesus is speaking in verse 41. And he says, The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented. They repented at the preaching of Jonas. That's Jonah. Remember Jonah and the whale? Jonah went and preached to the Ninevites and they repented and they got right with God. And in the final judgment, the men of Nineveh will rise up against that generation that Jesus was talking to because they repented. And then look what Jesus says. And behold, a pleon, a greater than Jonah is here. Now, Jonah was a man. Jesus was God in the flesh. I hope we understand that. One was a created being, finite in every sense of the word. The other was Almighty God, the creator of the earth and the universe and the heaven and all that's out there. And He's infinite in every way possible. The Jesus of the New Testament is the Jehovah of the Old Testament. He is God of God, King of kings, Lord of lords. He is Almighty. Do you see the difference, the comparison between Jonah and Jesus? Do you see that? That's Pleon. You see how much greater Jesus is than Jonah? He overshadows Jonah. He dwarfs Jonah. And if you've ever read the book of Jonah, you know that Jonah had some problems. He ran from the Lord at the beginning and then he was all upset and grumpy near the end. He was very human, wasn't he? We're something like that. But Pleon. If you, if you turn to the right, to the Gospel of Mark, here's one. Mark chapter number 12. Mark chapter number 12. This is a story I think you all know about. Mark chapter 12. And let's see here. Verse 41. Jesus sat over against the treasury and behold and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow and she threw in two mites which make a farthing. A farthing is a British... Uh, term for a piece of money. It means one quarter of a penny. A farthing is one quarter of a cent. Now, believe it or not, that's some of the small currency they had back then. They don't use that anymore. But here, it was broken down into even further, into mites. So half of a quarter of a penny, and she had two of them, so she had one quarter of a penny, and that's what she threw in. And he called unto him his disciples and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast Pleon in. Pleon. More in than all they which have cast into the treasury. That poor widow. 
her little quarter penny. It outshone the huge financial gifts these rich, unsaved people were throwing in. Or maybe some of them were saved. Her little quarter penny, it overshadowed everything that these others put in. You say, how can that be? It's because she threw in all her living. She was one of those rare individuals. I think Barnabas was another one. But she was one of those rare individuals that out of love and gratitude for God, she took everything she had and she gave it to the Lord that day. You know, someone has said that God doesn't measure how much we give. He measures how much we keep back for ourselves. Now, there may be some truth to that, but it sure does make you think, doesn't it? But here, do you get the idea, the sense of this word pleon? And that's why in Hebrews 11, when I believe it was the Apostle Paul who wrote Hebrews, when he came to Abel, and he's comparing Abel and Cain, he says, Pleon, and the translators translated as more excellent. It is super abundant, this thing that Abel did. Now, I believe that some gifts are only gifts, while other gifts can be Pleon, can be fantastic. Now, what makes a gift more excellent? Well, for that, I'd like to invite you to turn back to Genesis. Let's go back to the source, shall we? Genesis chapter number 4. No one here should have a problem finding Genesis. Okay, Genesis chapter 4. We have the story, verse 1, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. The word Cain meaning to receive, to acquire, to get. And, and she again bare his brother Abel. Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep. And that's, uh, that's the idea there. It uh, means a feeder, a keeper. The word Abel. Abel was a keeper of sheep. Cain was a tiller of the ground. So you see these men had different professions, right? Verse number 3. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel... He also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. Now, three things I want to point out here as to what made Abel's offering more excellent than Cain's. Number one is it's got to cost the giver something. To be able to give a more excellent gift to the Lord, it has to cost something. And that was definitely the case for Abel. He took the firstlings, he took the best that he had of his flock. The little sheep. So where did he learn to do this? No doubt he learned this from his father and mother who learned it from God himself. Truth is passed down from generation to generation. Cain would have known it too. Cain was born before Abel. Cain would have maybe have known this before Abel. But Cain chose not to do this. What Cain did was he went out in his garden and he, 
he maybe took some uh, radishes and uh, take some celery. That's good. And, and let's see, what else? What do we got here? Wow, some, uh, some carrots. Everyone loves carrots, so he took some carrots. You get the idea. He took the, the fruit of the ground and he brought that and gave that to the Lord. With Abel, it was different. He knew these sheep. He helped birth them into the world. He was there like the nanny or the uh, midwife, if you will, and he helped bring these these uh, sheep into the world. He cared for the flock. He was a shepherd, a feeder, a keeper of these sheep. He knew them. They knew him. They would come at his voice. That's what shepherds do. They train the sheep to, to respond to their voice, to follow them. That's why Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And so Abel, it cost him. It was far more of a cost for Abel than it was for Cain. Number two, do you remember when Adam and Eve had sinned and then God started to pronounce certain curses and one of them was cursed is the ground. Cursed is the ground. So Cain brought the fruit of the cursed ground whereas the sheep were not cursed. So there's a lot of theologians that still debate that kind of thing today. But the idea is, you know, if you're going to give a sacrificial gift to God, it has to be something that costs you. King David felt that same way. You know, when he came to make a, an offering, there was a, a sin he had committed in numbering the people and a, kind of an angel of death, so to speak, was going through and killing a lot of people. And David figured out what his sin was and so he went and he, uh, he was going to make this offering to the Lord. And so he goes to... Um, uh, the threshing floor of, uh, who was it, Ornan, I think. Uh, uh, so he, he says, I want to buy this from you. And th- this man says, oh, my king, no, I'll give it to you. You can have the floor. You can have the, uh, the cattle here, the, the oxen. You can have everything. I, I gladly give it. The king replied, he says, no. He says, I will not give something to the Lord if it hasn't cost me. Now, I'm sort of paraphrasing it there. But there has to be a cost. You want to give to God, that's great. You're walking along the street and you see a $20 bill on the ground and you pick that up and you say, wow, I can give that to the Lord on Sacrifice Sunday. Well, I suppose you could, but it sure didn't cost you anything, did it? There's no feeling of pain. There's no cost there. So, you see, it has to cost you something. It has to, it cannot be cursed money. The prostitution business, I think, has got God's curse all over it. There's diseases, there's heartache and heartbreak, and there's broken families and broken lives because of the miserable prostitution business in all its various forms. If someone makes money from the prostitution business and brings that into the house of the Lord to give that to God, God doesn't want it. It's part of the curse. So you see, it has to be made legitimately. If you've gone out to the casino and made $500 and you're going to bring that money in and give it to the Lord, don't. God's not in the gambling business. He's not in the liquor business. He's not in the prostitution business. Don't take the fruits of these cursed things and try and give them to God. A sacrifice that's going to be more excellent has got to cost us something. It can't be a a result, a product of anything cursed. And number three, it must be given by faith, not by sight. People who take out their wallet, their billfold, and they say, now let's see now, what can I afford to do? What can I not afford to do? That's by sight. 
But when you go to God and say, God, I want to give you a special gift. Can you help me? I want to do this for you. And you feel the the warmth and the peace of the Spirit of God saying, let's do this together. And so you step out by faith. That's what Abel did. How do you know? Because Hebrews 11.4 says, by faith, Abel. He did it by faith, not by sight. So these three keys, at least these three keys, are what makes an offering a more excellent offering. So, if we go back to Hebrews chapter 11, boy, we're going from one end of the Bible to the other just about, aren't we? Uh, that's good workout. <laughs> uh, Hebrews chapter 11. You know, some, some people, and especially new Christians, they have trouble finding their way around the Bible. It's just a matter of getting familiar with it. You know something? There's 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 books in the New Testament. I'll give you a little tip if you have trouble. If you're here today and you have trouble saying, now let's see, which end of the Bible is this book in? Right? If that describes you, all you have to do is if you learn the, the 27 books of the New Testament. See, there's 66 books altogether. 39 and 27. And if you learn the 27 then when you hear a book called out and it's not one of those 27, then you say, ah, it must be in the Old Testament. So that'll give you a hint, a little tip. Something that I used to do uh, with, for the first couple of years after I was saved is I would take my Bible and I would find the book of Psalms. Psalms was sort of roughly in the middle of the Bible. And I would close the pages of Psalms. I would fold them up, hold them up, leave the, the rest of the Bible on either side. I'd hold them up and I'd take a magic marker and put like a yellow or a red line. So when I close up my Bible and I look at it, I see this red line. That's the book of Psalms. And then I would start learning. Well, the book of Deuteronomy, is it to the left of Psalms or to the right of Psalms? So those are just little things that I, I used to do to, to help. Of course, you can always just memorize the 66 books in, in order. You can do that too, you know, and that would be probably the, the finest way of doing it. But anyhow, besides that, we're in Hebrews chapter 11. So verse 4. So what happens when we give a more excellent sacrifice? Does anything happen? Yes. There's a few things that happen right here in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Well, the first thing, it says, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. It's an expression of your salvation to give a sacrificial gift to God. Not to give a dollar you found off the street and put that in the offering plate, but to give a more excellent sacrifice. It is an evidence of salvation. And I believe that. And let me read for you James chapter 2 and verse number 18. It says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Giving a sacrificial gift to God is a work that bears witness that we're saved. We only do it because we love the Lord so much. Have you ever done that? Now, I know many of you here have been part of Sacrifice Sunday for a number of years, so I know you've done it. 
but maybe we've got new folks here or, or people that are new Christians or they've never heard of such a thing before. But it's true. When you really love someone, you want to do something for them. God so loved the world that He gave not just a gift. Folks, listen to me. He gave the very best He had. And that hurt the Father. You say, how do you know? Because on the cross, the Heavenly Father had to turn His eyes away from the Son. From His Son, Jesus. Darkness veiled the noonday sun. It was dark. And people, people noticed this. And Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it pained the Father. It hurt the Father to be able to do what He did. Maybe some of you as parents have had to do something for your son or your daughter and it's hurt you to, be, to do it. Maybe it was a cost you had to pay or something you had to endure and it really hurt you but you were doing it for your family, for your children, your, maybe your wife or your husband, for your loved ones. But it's something you did. When a woman gives birth, don't you think she goes through a little discomfort? Oh, discomfort. Some ladies are screamers and they know how to scream. Some ladies grab hold of their husband's hand and crush them. It's, it's incredible. I've been, through the, uh, I've been through that three times. <laughs> Some of you have been through that more than me. But three times, boy, I tell you. The first time, getting ready for the, the birth of our first child. And they tried to put us through as a group these uh, pre-whatever training classes. And we sat there watching big full-colored pictures of things I'm not going to tell you about. And I nearly lost it. When came the day, the words of a buddy of mine from Bible college came to my rescue. When I was there in the birthing room there, and my wife was uh, just beside herself in agony, and here I'm supposed to be the coach, and I'm, I'm saying, what do I do? Where do I go? You know, can I, I'll hold her hand. And so the words of a friend of mine came to, came to mind, and that's what got me through. When his wife was having their first baby, he told me about this. He said, I looked at my wife and I said, look at this poor woman. I have to help her. That's what he said. And that, those words came to my mind. And I sort of snapped out of it. And I, <laughs> I was able to, to be of some use anyhow and comfort to her. Boy, I'm glad those days are over. <laughs> But sometimes a parent will have to go through a uh, very difficult time for their child. And God went through a very painful thing. He gave His only begotten Son, giving to God a week's salary above our tithes and above our faith promise has some blood on it. I mean, it's not the easiest thing to do, to take a week's salary. How can we do it? We do it by faith. Does it work? Yes, it does. We've got years and years experience and people that can stand and tell you, yeah, I did it. I did it, I did it, I did it, I did it. Some of us, and maybe I'll lose my reward in heaven for this, but my wife and I, we give more than a week's salary. We're not wealthy people. We live on a modest salary. We've got bills to pay all the time. But we do it by faith. Well, what happens? Well, God blesses. That's what happens. 
He looks after His own. He knows how to give. You cannot outgive the Lord. Just remember that. Number one is you obtain witness. You know, sometimes you, you would see a bumper sticker. You don't see them too many these days, but it used to be popular. Honk if you love Jesus. Have you ever heard of that or seen anything like that? Yeah? Honk if you love Jesus. There's another bumper sticker that says, if you love Jesus, don't honk. Tithe. I just thought that was cute. Number two, not only do you get witness, but number two, you get God testifying. Look at it in verse, uh, verse 4 of chapter 11. So he obtained a witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. That means God got excited because it was a loving gift done by faith. And number three, <laughs> number three, this is interesting. It says, uh, and by it, he, that's, being, that's Abel, he being dead, because Abel was long, long dead, yet speaketh. The evidence, the testimony of that gift goes on and on. You say, well, how can it do that? I'll tell you how it does that. Your children grow up saying, my mom and dad loved the Lord. How do you know? Because they gave. They gave over and, ab and above tithes and offerings. How do you know? They told me. They told me. I was in church. I watched them put it in the offering plate. A gift like that will go on speaking. It'll go on speaking. It sure did for Abel. Well, the purpose of Christian giving, twofold. Number one, to build close relationship with God. And number two, to further the cause of Christ. Because that's what the money's used for. So I ask you today, how close are you to the Lord? Could you be a little closer? If so, then you might want to consider being part of Sacrifice Sunday. Now, I want to tell you a story. Very true story. It started in 1901. Now, that's before I think anyone here was invented. 1901. It was a baseball team. And it was called the Boston Red Sox. And the Boston Red Sox, Red Sox, they started off tremendous. And they were winning all these games. And everyone was saying, hey, the Red Sox, or the Sox, as they were called, S-O-X. The Sox, the Sox, the Sox. And by 1918, they were on top of the game of professional baseball. And then in 1920, they sold to New York they sold their greatest team player. Do you know who that was? The Bambino. Does that help? Babe Ruth. They had Babe Ruth. The Sox had Babe Ruth. And they were winning everything you could think of. And then in 1920, they sold the Bambino, Babe, to New York. Well, we know what happened to New York's team after that. They went sky high. You couldn't touch them. What happened to the Sox? Well, that's a sad story. Because for the next 86 years, from 1920 to 2004, 86 years, the Sox was just another wannabe. They never made it back. They got close, but always seemed to blow it at the end. They never won until 2004. 
in 2004. They were up against St. Louis, the Cardinals. And the Cardinals had played the most fantastic game that year. And people have their reasons as to why, but the bottom line is the Sox won. The Sox won for the first time in 86 years they won. They were back on top. I'll tell you, as a Christian, you may feel that your team is losing. You may feel, oh man, what's the use? I've served the Lord these years. I've given, I've prayed, and you know, nothing seems to happen. And you kind of feel like the, the Red Sox for those 86 years. Ah, oh, we may as well lay down and give up or something. Well, I'll give you a little tip. It's true that giving sacrificially to God brings you back into, will give you a close relationship. It'll help you with a close relationship. It will. It may not put you back in the top of your game, but it'll get you back in the game. By giving to God, it'll help get you back in the game. It may not put you on the top where you used to be. You're going to have to sort of work on that, but it'll get you back in the game. And so we're talking today about Sacrifice Sunday. Let's have a word of prayer. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.